Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Good morning again. My name, again, I did not introduce myself earlier. I am sorry about that. My name is uh, Stephen. I am the lead pastor here at City on a Hill Forest Hills. Um, thank you again, Victor, for, for reading that. We, we have a desire to be a multi-ethnic church, a multicultural church. And one of the ways we do that is by celebrating the diversity of um, ethnicities that are represented in our congregation, the, the diversity of languages represented in our congregation as a way to celebrate that. Now, let's, let's say honesty time. How many of you started singing at some point? Anybody? Okay. The rest of you are lying. We all did it at one point. That's okay. It's okay. Um, I know it's a little bit different. Um, and, and, and thank you, Matt, for leading us in worship. Um, and so what I want you to do is I want you to make up for that during the sermon. Talk back to me. Say amen. Say hallelujah. Say preach it. Say whatever you want to say uh, to kind of respond that you, something that was said uh, struck you. But today is the beginning of a new journey. Before we get started, I want to mention a couple of announcements. Um, if, uh, if you look on the screen, you'll see a QR code for a digital connect card. We would love to connect with you. Uh, we'd love to learn more about you, get to know you, help you get uh, plugged into the life of the church. So if you scan that card, um, fill out that, um, we can get some more information about you. We can get you uh, connected to a community group, um, we, uh, which is how we live out life together um, in the church, how we share life in, uh, in the everyday. Uh, but yeah, fill out that card um, and then we, somebody will follow up with you. Um, our value use a city on a hill are the gospel community and mission. We believe in the gospel, the good news that Jesus gave his life for us and that we did nothing to deserve it, but yet he invites us to be part of his family community, which is we believe that we are meant for relationships with each other and that relationships help us grow. And, and then lastly, mission, that this good news is just too good to keep to ourselves. So we, we take the good news of Jesus and we tell others about it in the way that we live, the way we demonstrate and declare the gospel. And then lastly, we have a course about politics. You know, people say you don't talk about religion or politics. We're doing both. So if you are wondering, how do we in the middle of this political climate we're in, how do we engage in this as believers? We have a class starting on Zoom tomorrow night. Um, I'm going to be on Monday nights, I believe, for six weeks. Um, and it's going to teach us how do we engage with politics as followers of Jesus. So again, you can uh, go to our website, coaforesthills.org slash events and get signed up for that. But as we dig into the Word this morning, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. As I was thinking about, I've been thinking about this day for a really long time, is as we're starting a new church, what is, what is the first thing that I want to say? What are the first things that we want to talk about? Because the first things that we talk about really say something about who we are. And so what better way to start a new church than to look at the very first public teaching of Jesus? I think that's a really good place to start. The Sermon on the Mount represents the most uh, concise, the most complete set of Jesus's teaching that we have in the entire Bible. You have probably heard some part of the Sermon on the Mount, if, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, um, you probably heard phrases like, the meek will inherit the earth. Or maybe you've heard a phrase like, um, you should love your enemies. Or maybe you've heard the phrase, judge not lest you be judged. Maybe you've heard some of those phrases. And so this is the most famous teaching of Jesus, but I also think it's the least understood and most confusing set of teachings by Jesus. What exactly is the Sermon on the Mount? What exactly are these three chapters in the middle of the, of the Gospel of Matthew? What exactly are they? Uh, and, and there really are three wrong ways that you can look at the Sermon on the Mount. 
Wrong way number one is it's just a list of rules. This is the list of rules that you need to do to get into a good, a good standing with God. So if you do these things, if you find a way to be meek, if you find a way to be humble enough, if you just do the right things and you can get in, that's not what Jesus is saying. Another way is you kind of go to the other end. You say, well, this is this unrealistic standard. This is kind of just a powerless affirmation. It really doesn't matter. It's just, this is kind of pie in the sky. And then the third way to read this wrongly is to take the Sermon on the Mount and then lift it up out of the rest of Jesus' teaching. So in other words, you can live this out and not actually be a Christian. You're saying, oh, you can be humble and you could be meek and you could, you could not lust and you could love your neighbor. You could do all of these things but not understand the reality that all of us were created to follow Jesus as, as our king. You cannot lift up the Sermon on the Mount out of the idea that Jesus is bringing a kingdom. We have to read the Sermon on the Mount in the way that Jesus intended us to read. Words matter. There's a, a, an Italian philosopher named Umberto Eco. I'm Italian, so I, I resonate with this guy, Umberto. I kind of wish my parents named me Umberto. It's a great name. And he talks about how you cannot take the intentions of a word, what the words actually mean, away from it when you read an ancient text like the Bible. He says the author's historical situation, where they grew up, the time and place that they live, all of it matters. Words are loaded with meaning. So I'm, we're going to do a little thought experiment, okay? When I say the words New York Yankees, what happens in your soul? Get out of here. For, for those of us who, who are right with the Lord, it's hatred, right? It's, there's a hatred in our souls. Um, but for those of us who, but if I say the Boston Red Sox, yeah, we're filled with pride, right? We're like, yes, the Red Sox. The, the team, that's our team. If I, okay, and sometimes if, if, if I say a word and somebody else says a word, we might be saying something different. So for example, in the South, if you say at a restaurant, I want a Coke, that doesn't just mean I want a Coca-Cola classic. That means the, the waiter or waitress would then ask you what kind of Coke. And for us who up here in the North, we're like, that's weird. A Coke is a Coke. No, in the South, a Coke could be a Mountain Dew. A Coke could be uh, a Dr. Pepper. It could be a Pepsi. It could be any of these things. But in the North, we know a Coke is a type of soft drink. Words matter. So we have to understand what Jesus is saying in the way that Jesus said it. And we cannot disconnect the Sermon on the Mount from the idea that Jesus said that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news that everything is going to be made right by Jesus through this kingdom and that repenting and believing is this invitation to this kingdom life that Jesus is promising. So the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes that we're going to look at today are really this invitation into the life that you and I were created to live. It's an invitation to a life that leads to life. And so what we're going to unpack today is that the, the Sermon on the Mount is an invitation to enjoy God by living the life you were created to live with Jesus as the King of your life. And so we need to answer three questions this morning about the Sermon on the Mount. First question we're going to answer is, what does blessed mean? What does that mean? Secondly, we're going to answer the question, what is this kingdom life like? And then thirdly, we're going to answer the question, what does this life mean for you and me? So let's unpack that first one. What does blessed mean? Verses one and two, we see that Jesus, he, he saw the crowds. He'd been healing all these people. He goes up into the mountains. He goes up into the mountains. I don't think Rockies think a big giant hill. And, and he, it's easier for him to be heard. And so he goes up to the mountain. And so when you see the word mountain here, it's really important because this is connecting us all the way back to the Old Testament. 
It's connecting us back to the prophet Moses, who God met on the mountain and gave the law, who he received the law from God. And so here Jesus is acting as the lawgiver, as God himself, and he is telling them, there is a new way I'm asking you to live. And the word blessed is really interesting. The first words that Jesus says about this new way to live is not a commandment. It's not, here are the five steps you need to do to get right with God. It's blessed are you. Blessed. The entire Sermon on the Mount hangs on that word blessed. And I think that's why we often miss what Jesus is saying. The modern idea of being blessed kind of falls short. When we think of being blessed, we tend to think of, you know, I'm healthy. I have a good family. I'm successful. Therefore, I am blessed. This, this feeling of temporal happiness. Or we look for some sort of blessing out there somewhere. I'm looking for my blessing. I'm looking for this, for, for God to favor me. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. The word happy is actually pretty close, but the best word we have to understand the word blessed is the word flourishing. What Jesus is saying is that this is the good life. What's being described here is the good life. The word blessed is the word makarios. It's a Greek word. And the only reason I bring that up is because that was the name of my favorite Lebanese restaurant in Birmingham where I used to live. It was called Makarios. And I always wondered what the name meant. I started studying Greek and realized that the word meant blessed or flourishing or happy. And I started to think, well, maybe the good life is eating good shawarma. And it, it kind of might be. That is the good life. What's being described here is this is what, this is the life you've always wanted. Jesus is saying that the poor in spirit, the, the meek, the humble, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are living the good life life, a thriving life. A thriving life for us as people is to be near the Lord and to live wisely as he's called us to live, to live the life that we were created for, for intimacy with God. And David, the King David in the Old Testament gets at this. He says in Psalm chapter one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree, that's the key there, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. Why do trees need to be planted by streams? Because they live from water. Water leads to life. They thrive when they're connected to what they were created for. We flourish when we are connected to the life that God intended for us. And so the, the, the Beatitudes are not if-then statements. It's not saying if you somehow become meek enough, then you get to inherit the earth. But it's really the idea of, of, of this is a promise. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit for or because theirs is the kingdom of God. You're living the good life because the rewards you're going to receive is great. These are observations about the life that we all want. And there's really almost a question in these. This is kind of why ads are so effective. When you hear an ad that says, do you want to lose 10 pounds in two weeks? We're like, yes, I do. Because the invitation seems like good news to us. Jesus is almost saying, do you want to know what the good life is like? This is the good, this is the good life. This is the life you were designed for. Or as one person put it, it's kind of like the Australian phrase, good on you or good for you. This is beautiful and good. The deepest longings 
are satisfied, where we can flourish and be blessed through a wholehearted devotion to God through relationship with Jesus. And the question is, is what are you giving yourself to or what are you looking to in order to flourish? What are you looking to believing that this thing is going to give you the good life? We all have something we're tempted to look toward other than Jesus that we're thinking, this is going to make me finally feel like I have enough or that I am enough or that I'm fulfilled or that I've found my purpose. And what we're saying without saying it is that thing is going to lead to flourishing. But Jesus is inviting you to this life, not, not to live up to this, not again, but to live into this. So blessed means to flourish. Secondly, what is the kingdom life like? What's this kingdom life like? It is a kingdom. Jesus is our king, but everything in this kingdom is upside down. Nothing in this kingdom seems to make a lot of sense. Jesus flips everything on his head. He flips power on his head. He flips success on his head. He flips who gets in on this on its head. And this kingdom life is a lot different than you and I would expect. The meek are going to inherit the earth. Why, Why not the powerful? Those who are pure in heart, it seems that the the wicked are those who are pursuing after whatever they want without any sort of reservation. It seems like they're the ones that are winning. And so we tend to get into what Ray Ortland calls the unbeatitudes. He says, we tend to think that the world operates on something like this, that blessed are the entitled for they grab what they want. Blessed are the carefree for they shall be comfortable. Blessed are the pushy for they shall win. Blessed are the greedy for they shall climb the food chain. Blessed are the vengeful, for they shall be feared. Blessed are those who don't get caught, for they shall look good. Blessed are the argumentative, for they shall get in the last word. Blessed are the popular, for this world lies at their feet. That is the right side up kingdom. That's what we see in our world right now, is that you will succeed by looking out for yourself, getting yours, and and everything's going to work out for you. And why do we run to these? Because they get results. They get rewarded for a little while. But the problem is, is they don't actually work in the long run. They don't last. They don't really satisfy because once you get those things, you just want more or you want new or you want better. Or as Tim Keller puts it, ironically, the more you look to the things of the world to give you your deepest pleasures and satisfactions, the more frustrating they will be. So a life devoted to pleasure actually does not deliver pleasure. These two kingdoms are at odds. We have the right side up kingdom that says you need to do this and win. You need to hustle and you need to find more and get more and do more. You need to run on that never ending hamster wheel. And we end up having this low grade anxiety in our souls that we can't put our finger on. And it looks totally opposite than the upside down kingdom that Jesus promises. Where Jesus says that the least shall be the greatest. And that those who are great in his kingdom will serve and that you can actually come to him and find rest. So how, so how are weakness and self-denial and tears and this downward trajectory, this downward mobility in our lives, how do those possibly lead to the blessed, flourishing life that Jesus promises? Because that's the way that Jesus chose. Jesus chose that way. And because of that, the cross is our victory where it looked like Jesus had been defeated. Jesus rose from the dead and now his name is highly exalted above all names. Now us, as our sins die in the grave with him, have been raised to new life in him. So the cross becomes our victory. See, flourishing comes from the very things that you choose to avoid. 
from the very things that we seek to avoid. Our hope is in Jesus. Everything's upside down. Secondly, the Sermon on the Mount doesn't just look different than you expect. It goes deeper than you expect. It goes for the heart. So the Sermon on the Mount invites you in, the Beatitudes invite you in, and then they expose you. It goes so much deeper. It's like an iceberg. You'll see a picture up here on the screen of an iceberg. We've all seen an iceberg. Icebergs are beautiful. They're really, they're really pretty, but they're also just, they're majestic. They're magnificent. We look at them and what we see of an iceberg, we only see about 10%. And there's all this stuff down underneath the iceberg that's holding up what we can see. There's so much stuff that's underneath the surface. Jesus is getting underneath the surface of our lives. This is why Jesus blew the minds of his hearers. And we will see this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to be looking at this through the end of the year. It says that they were astonished because Jesus saw their motivations. He sees what we value. He sees our story. He sees our family of origin. He sees, he sees all the things underneath the surface that show up on the surface in the way that we live. Jesus is not interested in a new community with better behavior. He's addressing the real issues of our heart. And that's why this exposes us. And what, here's what happens when Jesus exposes us. He still wants us. He's not scared away. He, he, he doesn't just see the deepest parts of your soul and your heart and your life and your story, the lies you believe, your failures, your struggles. He doesn't run. He's not scared off. He presses in. Jesus wants you and you can have this flourishing life that he promises so this kingdom life is different than we expect. It's deeper than we expect. So what does this life mean for you and me? As a new church, we, we don't want to just be people with better morals. We want to see transformation happen in our lives and in our city. We want to see new life. We want to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as king. So what does this look like? We want our lives to look like this. We want, our, we want to see our lives marked by humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What it means to be poor in spirit means to be destitute spiritually. In other words, I bring nothing to the table believing that I can do anything to save myself. This is saying a complete need for Jesus. How do you inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, how do you spend eternity with him? It's by admitting that only Jesus can get you there. If you were to ask the, yourself the question, why should God let you into heaven? What would your answer be? Would it be, you know, I've done some good or, or, or I'm a pretty good person? But Jesus says the way that you inherit, not the way that you earn, the way that you inherit, the way that you receive the kingdom is through admitting that you can't get there on your own. We want to be people who are humble and see our need for Jesus. People who mourn, bless are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. God comforts us over our loss. He comforts us in the middle of, of the losses in this life, but and, and, and we'll, he'll be near to us. This is also the idea of brokenness over the injustices and the inequalities that we see in our world. Meekness. I think it's really interesting that meek is paired with mourn, that what we see is that we will lay down our need to, to get power and trusting that God will work powerfully for us and those will inherit the earth. What this means to be humble as, as God's people is that you don't have to be impressive. The life you're being invited into isn't about being impressive. It's about a wholehearted trust that God is with you and that he will work powerfully for you. How awesome would it be? How, how incredible would it be if we could look back in five years as a church and say that this is a place where the broken 
and the marginalized can find a home. What if we could look back over the next five years and say we have humbly served our Lord and served our neighbors, believing that God will work through our efforts? What could happen? We want to be marked by righteousness. This life is marked by righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We want to long for things to be made right. We want to long for everything to be made right. And first, that starts in our hearts. We pray, Lord, shape us and change us and give us the greater righteousness that only can be found in Jesus. Change the posture of our hearts. Let us be merciful people. The gospel shows us mercy that Jesus, while we were still sinners, died for us. And we want to embody that in the way that we live. This is why we believe in community groups so much. This is is a place and a space where we don't keep score by how often you attend. We don't keep score by how how, what you bring to the table, but we, we keep score by the fact that Jesus loves you and you get to be a part of this new family. We seek each other's good and we pursue each other when things are hard. We, we don't let each other wander away. We say, I'm going to extend mercy because I've received mercy. But righteousness also has justice in view. That we only, not only want God to make things right in our hearts, but we want God to make things right in our city and in our world. And this is why the world's idea of justice falls short. It falls short of biblical justice because we want to be a community of people committed both personally and corporately to be responsible, to seek the equity and the good of our neighbors, to see everyone treated with dignity and value, to advocate for the poor and the marginalized. I heard recently that biblical justice is what love looks like in public. What if our community groups could be a place where people are loved and known and safe They have room to change, room to work things out, room to express the deep pains of their soul. And lastly, we want to be marked by peace. We want to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is the idea of not just setting things right between two people. This is the biblical idea of shalom, where everything is made right, where every evil is undone. And the thing is, is that those who pursue this, we're going to, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to look a little weird. I think we see this in politics right now because if we are truly seeking the flourishing of every neighbor, of every person, there are times that the political right's going to think you're weird, and there's times the political left is going to think you're weird. We reorient our lives not around politics or culture or political party, but we reorient our lives around Jesus. We are called to help others flourish. That's what it means to be a peacemaker, to to be blessed. And those who do so are called sons of God. What if we were a people who pursued justice? What if our church was known as a place that fostered peace among others? In five years, what if we were people marked by humility and righteousness and peace? I think we could say that we're blessed. I think we could say that we are flourishing. I think we could say that this is the good life that Jesus has called us into. Next week, as we look at um, the the next section, verses 13 through 16, we're going to unpack practically what it means to be the salt and light of Jesus, what it means to bring shalom into our neighborhoods. But I want you to know that Jesus is inviting you into this good life. But you can't have the kingdom life without the king. You, you can't have the life that Jesus is promising without submitting yourself to Jesus as Lord. 
because Jesus is the key to this because Jesus became poor in spirit, spirit, taking on the form of a servant in order that we could attain heaven. Jesus is the one who was mourned and not comforted so God could come near and comfort us. Jesus was humble so we could inherit the earth. Jesus is the only one who hungered and thirsted for righteousness for our satisfaction. Jesus received no mercy so that we could receive mercy. Jesus was pure in heart. Jesus is the one who made true peace in the world and who's making everything right. This is the good life. So what is your next step into this life? Maybe this morning the step for you is you've not trusted Jesus as Lord. You've not said, I'm poor in spirit. I need nothing but Jesus. I give you my life. I trust in you alone. Maybe that's what you need to do this morning. We would love to pray with you and talk with you about what that means. Maybe you need to get in community where you can live out this life with others, where you love and serve others and and, and they know and serve you. We'd love to get you connected to a community group. Again, fill out a connect card. Maybe you need to find a way to step in and be a peacemaker in our neighborhood. We'd love to talk with you about some of the network partner, or the the neighborhood partners that we have that we, we can serve alongside. But let's pray together as we seek the good life that Jesus promised us. 